Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 16. I'm the podcast host, Dean Jones, and I'm very happy to be talking with you today. Hope you're all having a really great year so far, and you're safe and happy. Today I'm getting to talk to Maggie Zhu, who is a food writer, and uh, she has a really wonderful blog I'll be telling you about in a brand new cookbook. And I was pleased as punch to talk to her, um, because I really loved her cookbook, and I was happy to get introduced to her because of it, and um, I'm just just so over the moon getting a chance to talk to her. If you're not familiar with Maggie, she's a New York-based blogger, writer, recipe developer, and photographer. She grew up with a mother who always did the cooking, and her culinary adventures started in 2007 when she moved to Japan and needed to cook to survive. Learning and sharing Chinese food had become a way for her to connect with her roots and the rest of the world. Her mission is to help more people get to know real Chinese food and expose less known regional cuisines, such as Northern and Xinjiang food to a broader audience. More importantly, she wants to show you how easy it is to cook with wholesome ingredients and create delicious dishes that are like the ones served in Chinese restaurants. We're gonna have links to her website, Omnivore's Cookbook, and her brand new uh, cookbook, Chinese Homestyle, which you're gonna love. So I really want to um, add, and this is this will be something I'll be saying in the interview. Um, I really liked the cookbook a lot. Now, the title doesn't say it, but it's a vegetarian cookbook, and it's full of just amazing vegetarian recipes. I um, wanted to cook more vegetarian meatless meals uh, during the week to kind of uh, you know kind of make the family more healthy and reduce our carbon footprint. So this was right up my alley because I think that. You know, it's one thing to want to cook vegetarian meals, but another one to make good ones that the family's going to eat. And that was the biggest challenge I was facing. And I was trying all kinds of things like, you know, garden burgers, etc. But that kind of kind of kind of old. So Maggie's uh, cookbook uh, came into view, and I was able to start trying some things from it. And let me tell you, uh, the family liked it. Um, they were very happy with all the recipes I tried from the uh, the cookbook and. I don't think it really even became a thing where we were thinking about it as vegetarian. It was just really good Chinese food. And the other thing I like about Maggie's cookbook is that it's really simple. She has really good, easy to use uh, directions and she doesn't make it very challenging. She makes it easy for you. So I, I don't want I could go on all day about this because uh, I really, really like the cookbook a lot and I'll be gushing a lot in the interview too. So instead of that, I'm just going to go right to it. I uh, hope you enjoy my conversation with Maggie Zhu author of Chinese Homestyle. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm very uh, proud to be talking to food writer Maggie Zhu. Maggie is the author of the award-winning food blog, Omnivore's Cookbook. She has a new cookbook out, Chinese Homestyle, everyday plant-based recipes for takeout, dim sum noodles, and more. Maggie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's such a pleasure to be here. I, I wanted to start with uh, the question about where you grew up. You grew up in Beijing, China. Did your love of food begin there growing up? Uh, I think I always enjoyed food, but it was more of a, how to say, it's, it's just everything you do. Like every day you, you, you have to eat. I don't think I was particularly like obsessed with like trying out different food because um, back, you know, in the old days when I was growing up, the food we eat at home was very, very simple. And at the time, there weren't that many restaurants in Beijing. Uh, and I mean, we, I, I do um, 
you know, as a family, we w went out uh, maybe once every month or maybe later on once per week. But when I was growing up, like especially with the time when I was little, I was like just eating really simple uh, homemade food. I think my uh, like interest in food grow like more like during the later stage of life when I was started traveling and then when there's like more and more like regional Chinese cuisine that come to Beijing. You um, eventually ended up living after a few other places. You ended up living in Austin, Texas in 2015. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Austin? when you? I've lived in Texas and I have relatives that are from near Austin and it can be, a, Texas is a very different place. What did you think of it when you first started living there? Did you have any culture shock? I think I would, yeah, I think there were, were quite a few things that I was, I thought, huh, this is actually really different because I came from uh, Beijing uh, you know, it's like pretty crowded and busy. And uh, at the time, my husband actually told me, it was like, oh, we're moving to a nice little city. And I was imagining a city like Beijing. And I think it's like, oh, this is actually really quiet. <laughs> I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was a different concept for a city, I guess. Um, and, and the other thing, actually, it's not really about Texas. It's more about in general, uh, you know, in the US. I was surprised at you know what i can get from supermarket uh like a grocery stores and how people cook and eat i think i thought i just thought it's very very different and then it made me realize that oh some of the recipes i shared on the website on my website probably won't work because people cannot find the stuff now <clears throat> i wanted to ask when when did the when did the urge to write about food come to you at what point did you start writing about food and realize that you really enjoy doing it? Uh, that is when, uh, after my uh, after I studied in Japan, I lived in Japan for two years for my graduate school, and then I went back to China. And at the time, I was uh, doing a pretty boring job at the bank, and I thought I want some sort of like creative outlet because I always enjoyed creativity-related uh, work growing up. Uh, that was the time I started writing uh, my food blog. And I really enjoyed taking the photos and exploring the recipes and sharing my uh, experience and the recipes with my readers. Food blog, Omnivore's Cookbook, 10 years ago in 2013. By 2016, it had become a full-time job for you. What did you envision for the blog in the beginning when you started it? I guess I didn't really think too much about it. I, I kind of jumped into it because I thought it's really, really fun. Um, and uh, I did it as a part-time thing for a, quite a few years when I was doing a, uh, having my full-time job. It, it was a great, I, how to say, weekend project for me because I, I work on that every day after work and on the weekend. And I thought maybe it would be really cool, you know, if it gets more popular and maybe even I could, you know, earn a little bit income from it. But I, I guess I didn't really have like a plan at the very beginning. You wrote in a recent article that you, you know, you felt a little bit burnt out by it. And I don't think the people that are listening probably know all that's involved in writing a blog. Like there's a lot of work that goes into it. What, what kind of work do you have to do to kind of keep your blog running from week to week? Uh, there's quite a bit. Uh, I, on a daily basis, there's a content creation part which takes up the majority of the time. Uh, 
And yeah. on top of that, there's like the admin, the tech, you know, uh, like once in a while, you, I have to redesign the website and I, tr I always try to make it more user friendly. And you're always constantly working on increasing the speed, you know, uh, a lot of stuff like that. And there is a the marketing part where, you know, after you create a piece of content, you have to promote it. So how, you know, what you can do to make more people to able to see the content, you know, like I have, to, I write my weekly newsletters. Uh, I post my, uh, I schedule out content on all the social media, like Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and all that. And then there is a the part of um, net, like networking. You know, I, I talk to my peers. I talk to other bloggers. Sometimes we uh, meet, uh, we meet ups uh, and go to conference together and like learn new things and exchange information. And then I, there is the part of, uh, I have to constantly like learn um, by, by going to conference webinar, like reading and go to workshops, like kind of like keep up with like what's happening right now because technology constantly change and the trend and the industry constantly change. So I kind of also have to, and also of course, like the part of like, you know, the writing and the photography and everything that like, I always want to spend some time to learn. And I actually want to um, go back to content creation part. So that is the part I feel like I had no idea what it entails at the beginning when I started blogging because um, when the blog start to evolve to a bigger platform and I have more readers, the content creation is really like, it takes so much time because you want it to look professional. I, I think sometimes people like imagine it's like, oh, you know, I, I have this dish in mind or it's like, oh, this is one of my favorite thing. I, did, I want to cook it for dinner and I, I take a picture and just post it. It's, it's actually completely, like, it's very, very different from the, that um, experience. That, I can say that maybe at the beginning of the blogging, like when I just started, it's, it was what I did. It's like, I, I think of something, I just cook it and post it. But these days, when it's become, um, I'd say now I create, um, I have to spend a lot of time to do research of what I want to post about because there are like millions of topics and there are like so many recipes. But I want, I need to figure out what my readers want and uh, how I can cater this content to them, you know, in a way that, that resonates. So I think that is a part that like sometimes I feel a little bit burned out by that because um, maybe I have ideas that I want to share, but maybe I will make an admin decision that like now is not the best time to share this because this type of food is most people don't know what it, what is that. So I have to research, do a lot of research actually about what's popular, what people actually want. And I learn to to how to make that content. And then, um, and, the, and during the content creation, there's a lot of like recipe testings. I have to do it multiple times. And then I schedule the shoot. I have a very small team. Right now I have one assistant. I have to schedule, you know, what is a good time, you know, um, set up the studio, the lighting and everything. And when I'm cooking, I also, uh, I was also shooting videos and then uh, photos at the end so it's like a process um, and I think that is a part that um, that is the most time draining and it's the most important you wrote an article about 
a trip you took in 2017 to Indonesia that was an influencer trip. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it seemed to be a big game changer for you as far as how you created your content and how you do what you do. Uh, I think that trip was really, really fun because I got to meet um, people from, like they're from so many different fields. I have, because I actually, I didn't set any expectation. I thought I was going a trip with like food bloggers and we just blog, uh, talk about food. But turns out they actually did this uh, gathering uh, from, like they, they pick people from all over the world. There are like people who do, uh, who does YouTube, there are travel bloggers, there are fashion bloggers, and there are people uh, talk about like lifestyle and all that stuff. And it was interesting to really see those people from different uh, kind of like industry, how they present the same topic, but from a totally different perspective. Like literally we're going to a restaurant or going to a cafe or, you know, just doing those uh, events. Um, but we shoot it or we take different pictures and we talk about things in a very different way. And I feel like that kind of opened my mind of uh, learning, learning from really different people. And I think that's changed. Like, I feel like I've become like more open-minded after that trip. Your blog won the 2019 Sevier Award for Most Inspired Week night dinners and was a finalist in best photography, which I'm going to circle back to later when we talk about your book. How did you feel after six years of hard work? It was actually unexpected. It's funny because at the, I feel like at the beginning when I just started, I maybe I didn't know what's out there. So I actually, I'd say the first three years when I was blogging, I actually applied Silver Award myself. I was like, oh, I hope I can win this. Uh, of course, I, like none of that worked. And then I just like, the, the more I blog, the more I feel like, man, there are so many good content. Like there are so many bloggers that I admire and they have like such great works. I didn't even bother to apply. Uh, but then I went over, it was really funny. Uh, but yeah, it's like the more I uh, work on this, the more I feel like there's just so many good content out there. And they kind of like encourage me to to improve more. This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. I want to talk about the topic of your um, your uh, web your blog because your blog Omnivore's Cookbook really talks in depth with really great recipes on Chinese cuisine. Now I've talked to guests in the past who've combated the notion that there is a cumulative type of food. Like when many people go to a Chinese restaurant, it doesn't say what region it's from. Most of the time, it's just like it says Chinese food. And then I, I've seen, I've talked to authors who spoke about Indian cuisine, where there's all kinds of different Indian cuisine all over India, but usually it's like an Indian restaurant. It's kind of homogenous, and they're they're battling that right now. Do you feel there's a lot of misconceptions about what is called Chinese cuisine, and 
do you battle that in your writing? Uh, a little bit, yes. I think it, it comes down to uh, what type of Chinese restaurant do you go to? I feel like if you're talking about like very generic, I'd say, you know, like you, which you can find like any part of the U.S. You, you go somewhere, even like a remote place, there is like a Chinese takeout. And you go yeah. in and they, they, they have a like very generic name and uh, the, the menu all look the same. They have exactly like the the chow mein, the the, the kung pao chicken, the you know yeah. they're and the, the with the, the, everything with the brown sauce and the and some soup. Yeah. It's like very 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 similar. That is the, I think that is um, something new that I learned after I lived in the U.S. and I think that's kind of interesting. Um, uh, which I actually goes way back to the you know early immigrants and how they developed this whole industry. But what I want to talk about is that um, in China, we have a lot of regional food, which yeah. is totally different from what I, you know, like what you usually find in those type of restaurants. I feel like if you live in a really big city, like I'd say New York or LA, you can find very interesting um, and modern Chinese regional cuisine. But outside of those big cities, it's kind of like hard to find of find those restaurants because just because there's like maybe not enough um, people who appreciate the food. So uh, where I from, we have like it's like in China, it's like very very different. The food is like so different because uh, for example, for me, I grew up eating northern style Chinese food, which is something that is kind of hard to find in the U.S. Even in New yeah. York, I think there is like maybe one or two. There is one northern place I really like. But it's, again, it's hard to find like everything I've eaten growing up. Uh, and a lot of food that people think is like very popular, like Cantonese food is what's the most popular in the U.S. Like dim sum, you know, like chow yeah. mein, um, uh, like chow fan, you know, the, those rice noodles and those little dumplings. I didn't really have them until really later on of my life. like high school and later and uh, they are just so different and then there's a Sichuan food like all oh, the spice it's getting very popular these days it's getting more and more popular even outside of the major city um I didn't have Sichuan food until like maybe when I start working it's just so interesting because China is so big and there are like so many regional things that are just very different from each other and and then I, the other style of food is Yunnan food. Um, I think it's gradually getting popular, but still, like there there aren't so many uh, restaurants like that in the U.S. Uh, Yunnan food is you know is a part like south of China. It's like south of uh, Canton area, and it's yeah. uh, bordering uh, like a few uh, countries like Vietnam and Thai. Like I cannot remember exactly, but you know it's closer to Vietnam and, and Thailand and you know those like regions. And they, for example, they use really interesting flavor profile. Like they use like mint, they use a lot of basil, they use all kinds of local mushrooms and they, they dry age their meat to make things like beef jerky and they make their own uh, cheese from buffalo. So that's what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, depending on the region, like the, how people eat, they can be really, really different. And the, the food is really amazing. Your cookbook, Chinese Homestyle, came out with great success in September. I was reading the uh, 
Amazon reviews and just, it was just this line of love, love, love all the way through. I mean, it's very well received. Um, I received a copy and I was taken with the recipes and your writing style. I really, I want to talk about your writing style a little bit because like on your blog and in your cookbook, you really seem to have a wonderful, engaging writing style that talks about the techniques and you really seem to be a natural teacher. Was this something that you had to work at or was your, or did you develop the writing over time or did you just naturally start writing in this way? I definitely developed it over time. I think I always had it uh, as an intention because um, you might have read it that I actually learned how to cook Chinese food in, when I was living in Japan by reading mm -hmm. a lot of Japanese cookbooks because they're really good at like being very thorough and break things yeah. down and showing like preps and like uh, cooking process in like very detailed pictures. So I always really, really liked that style because when I started learning Chinese cooking, it's actually pretty difficult. It's kind of challenging. And I don't think it's easy. It's never easy for me. So I wanted to make it very, because I mean, when you, started to do it and when you like do it like many many times you actually find it's like oh it's actually not that hard but at the beginning if you've never done this type of cooking before it's very different from say you know american cooking or italian cooking the, the way of you prep and, and cook things they're they're very very different so i want to i always wanted to be very thorough i'd say uh to break it down like to walk people through it and make it approachable but I did, I do think like when I go back to, you know, look at the recipe I posted many years ago, I, it's like, man, I have to update this because I, I feel, I do feel like my writing developed over time. Um, that I, there, there are so many detailed things like, you know, I feel like people cut things differently. People, you know, prep things like, you know, very different ways. So I always kind of go back and like, try to make it more clear i and i really appreciate yeah. it because like for instance when i was making the black pepper uh mushrooms and peppers for the family um i i read the article i read the the uh, recipe and i looked through it and i it just you made it very linear so that i could just start from beginning to finish i was able to do it like in a very brief amount of time and it worked so well and I don't think I've, I've read other authors where I just don't feel like that was the case. Like they made it more kind of convoluted where I kind of felt like I wanted to give up before I even started. <laughs> so it was really helpful, yeah. especially with some of the more technical issues like the sauce preparation, the prep mm -hmm. cooking, you made it really easy. So I really appreciate that as somebody who wanted to tackle these things. And so many of the, so many of the recipes you had in there, um, just, I really ended up really loving them and making them for my family and, and they really loved them. So it was really kind of gratifying. It made me feel really good. And I was so happy I got a copy of the cookbook because it just really is such an asset. But um, I also Thank wanted you. to talk about, I think, yeah. And I want to talk about the fact that this is a vegetarian cookbook. It doesn't really say it in the title, but it is a it's like a vegetarian cookbook that's very vegetable forward, which I love. And it's something that I've wanted in my life because I want to have more meatless like food. And I'm an omnivore though. I do eat meat, but like, I really wanted to do more. Did you kind of, was that your intent in creating this, like to kind of bring more or, uh, meat free or, you know, plant-based cooking to people in America? Yes. Yes. That was exactly the intention because I am not a uh, vegetarian. Uh, I just think the topic is really interesting to explore because 
I have more and more readers and friends around me. Maybe they are vegetarian. Maybe they just want to eat more vegetables. I literally had people who ask me about, like, a book about on on vegetables because sometimes even they look at vegetarian cookbooks. You know, there are a lot of things like you know a vegetarian burger. And yeah. the, my friend was telling me, you know, when I want to eat vegetarian, I really just want like nice vegetables. Like I don't want like a mock, you know, meat thing or like a sandwich or like a pasta that is like, no, you know, it's like very carb focused. Uh, I yeah. think people want to learn how to make delicious vegetables. So that is that was the intention. Yeah, I mean, because just guy, you make green beans look good. I mean, you make everything stuff that normally would people would pass over. You make them look really good. And I just, I think, I wonder though, if like the success and how good it is, is the fact that you're not a vegetarian, because I've read a lot of um, vegetarian cookbooks. It seems like it starts off with the whole meat is bad, blah, blah, blah. And it's, mm. you, you feel like you're being preached to, and they're trying to sell you something. And it's like, I didn't feel that at all with yours. I felt like you're just like about the food. Was that like anything you thought of when you made the cookbook? Yeah, because I'm not, again, I'm not a vegetarian. So I actually did like struggle a little bit. It was like, hmm, do I really, um, am I qualified to talk about these topics? But I, because there are so many great dishes, um, I, I think when I was working on the book, I really focused on the flavor. And uh, like, maybe like you said, I, because I eat all kinds of food. So I feel like, oh, I really want to recreate, you know, like what's missing or like, you know, I, I tried my best to bring in all kinds of like aromatics and sauces to make it as flavorful as possible. So. I remember I was reading, I was doing research on you and I read the fact and you talked about something so simple. You said that there was a, a, a dish I think your mother or a relative made that was just simple cabbage I think it was braised in um, chili sauce and Sichuan peppercorn. And you said, mm -hmm. is this, I mean, it really wasn't complex at all, but it was really a really good dish. And I thought so many times I think we overdo it. Like we, we, we cook vegetables to death to the point of they're no longer their natural self. Mm -hmm. Do you think we overthink vegetables in the West? We kind of kill them. <laughs> I, yeah, a little bit, especially the boiled green beans. Like that's like, I can't. Yeah. yeah that's just like, no, not that good. Uh, I, I think the uh, the thing I w really want to uh, introduce to people are the uh, really simple dishes. I think those are overlooked because those are the things that we actually, in China, my, that's the type of dish that my mom cooks every day. Because you can easily, you know, cook like two stir fries in a few minutes because you just chop a few things and sorry and quickly cook it to retain its texture. And then you use like aromatics and like this very simple sauce to season it. And they accompany it with your other things on the table. Um, you know, usually we do eat at home, we eat a little bit like braised meat or we eat some dumplings or noodles and stuff like that. But the really every day there's like maybe a simple salad, like a cucumber salad and the potato salad, like in this book that I, you know, those are uh, old family recipes. And there's a four ingredient okra stir fry. These are things that are just, because it's just so easy to put together. And I still do those things like every day in my life. So. I really want to talk about the food photography in this cookbook because it's so beautiful. Now, writing a cookbook is hard. There's a lot of work involved, as I'm sure you could talk about. Um, mm -hmm. Was doing also the photography part of it difficult as well? Because 
these aren't just simple tossed off photographs. These are really detailed staged photographs. And I felt they really highlighted the food because it, I, I, not everybody, I've seen, I wrote a lot of cookbooks over the last several years and not everybody highlights their food in the best way to make you want to eat it. Sometimes it's pretty, but it doesn't make you hungry. Your, your photographs make you hungry. Was that like, was there some art with that in there where, because it's also beautiful. There's a lot of like little nice dishes and artistic highlights that you put in the photography as well. What was your thought going into the process and was it difficult to do the photography as well as write the cookbook? Oh, thank you, first of all, to this such a good compliment. Because I did think at the time when I was shooting it, um, actually I didn't take too much time on the photography because there's just so much work to do. There's a writing, there's a recipe testing and all that. I think I tried to really focus on the food instead of you know, do a lot of props and the styling is, you know, like, like the napkins and all the small dishes or trying to make it, how to say, you know, maybe food is a part of it, but make the picture just like artistic. I, I think a part of me wanted to, um, like you said, make the food like the main star. And also part of it is actually just like, kind of like make the process a little bit faster. Uh, that's actually, I guess it worked out really well. Because um, I later on, I feel like, oh man, maybe something I could have done a little bit more, throw in some more props and make it like, you know, the, so each picture will be like different, like look very different. But I guess, I guess it worked. <laughs> because usually I spend, after I make some dish, um, so my goal of photography is I want people to know how the dish should look like once they cook it. Yeah. I, I do not like maybe, maybe once in a while I undercook vegetable a little bit, just a tiny bit. So they retain their color. But most yeah. of the time I really feel like I, I want to follow my recipe and it, it should look like this. It, it shouldn't look like a very overly styled or artificially made to look good, but you are never get, your dish will never look like that. So that is always the goal. Did, was it a learning curve to learn about uh, food photography or have you been doing photography for a while? Oh, it's a, I started learning when I started a blog. Um, if you look at my first post, if you look at my first blog post, you still can see the first picture I ever took. It's a pasta dish. And it's like a terrible, it's like all yellow, very, very wrong white balance. And the food is like blurry and, it was like horrible, um, but yeah, I, I I did learn it over the years. I read a lot of books. I went to seminars and uh, you know workshops, and um, I learned from other photographers. I I even did a trip actually uh, to Cambodia once with a travel photographer. So I did spend a lot of energy on improving my photography skill. What was it like holding the book in your hand for the first time after you were done? Because you had been doing writing for a long time, but it had always been online. This is the first time you've had a tangible, physical book in your hands. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? It was pretty nice. It was nice. And I think uh, it was like, oh, it actually look, I was very insecure about it. I was like, really? oh my God, uh, what if there's a typo? What if like I did a measurement wrong? There are so many like, I, I was very, very insecure about my book, but, but when I hold it, I was like, oh, it's, it, it actually looked pretty good. I was happy with it. 
Yeah, I mean, it, right off the bat, the the cover is good. It's a really, really excellent cover. The publisher did an amazing job. I mean, I really have to give credit to the. They did. They, the, design, the designer, the designer, she did a great job. Like a color, like I think it's really like a clean design and the good colors and, and and all the pictures. Like the layout is great. Yeah. Who are some of the food writers that you admire that you like to read that you go back to again and again? So I do follow a lot of uh, writers who write about Chinese food. So uh, some of my favorites are Fuchsia Dunlop and Carolyn Phillips. Uh, Carolyn Phillips, my favorite book is her Oh Under Heaven. So th those are the two authors that I feel like they are, they're not Chinese, but they did such a great work researching. And by, you know, actually living in China and actually just do very, very intensive uh, research and like cook and talk to local people and experience the food and actually interview and see how people really cook. And their stuff are really, really like true to the, you know, the real uh, authentic Chinese food. I always, I feel like sometimes even my cooking is not like, you know, stick to like how is like stick to the root, like how people actually do that in China. But I feel like their books are really, really well researched. And, and very authentic. Uh, and I, I do like uh, Kenji Lopez uh, because every, I feel like if I have a question about cooking, I just always find answers in his book. And I love Otto Lange's book. It's just because they're just beautiful and um, yes. big flavors. Yeah. Totally agree. So uh, as the last question, I want to ask you, what's next for you? Ah, oh, what's next for me? I don't know. I think... <laughs> that I will keep blogging. Uh, I think the next is just like keep doing work, keep improving it, and that's a, and actually that's one of my favorite part of food blogging because it always brings you like unexpected projects. Because I I feel like over the years I met really interesting people. I I got to go to places. I got to invite uh, invited to events and. Just sometimes I, I have people coming and just asking me to do a project together. And it's like, I would never have imagined that. And it's exciting. So I'm very fully prepared to whatever that, you know, gonna come in my way in the future. But meanwhile, I will be focusing on the blog. Yeah, and keep writing about the food. Maggie, I wanna thank you for being on the podcast. And my family wants to thank you for making my, my cooking a little bit better. So thank Thanks. you for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a, it's that was my interview with Maggie Zhu. Her, we have links to her book, Chinese Home Style, on the um, bio link that you're going to see on whatever social media um, music app you use. We also have links to her website, Omnivore's Cookbook, which you're going to want to check out because it's amazing and very comprehensive. On Friday, we're going to have Sourdough Librarian, Carl DeSchmidt on the uh, podcast. And uh, I had a really good time talking to Carl. He's just a really wonderful, amazing font of information. And he answered all my questions about sourdough and being a sourdough librarian. Uh, so check that out. You're going to really enjoy that one. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, if you do like it, please share it on social media, share it to a friend, spread the word. We always want new listeners. I hope you're all having a really great beginning to your week and be able to cook a lot of really great things, hopefully from some cookbooks from authors you've seen on the podcast. Until then, keep on cooking.
This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 